At the Railway Safety Regulator, we're mandated to oversee railway safety and our work begins before the first train leaves the station. All operators must apply for a safety permit to meet operational requirements. We ensure the safety of passengers, communities and all stakeholders through improved standards of the rail network to prevent safety incidents. We monitor, investigate and enforce compliance to regulations for a network that serves industrial purposes, the movement of freight, tourism and public transport. Our approach is based on enforcement, engineering and education. Welcome to this coffee with the editor. I am with the acting CEO of the Rail Safety Regulator. There is great excitement coming up with the International Rail Safety Council. So we thought that this would be a good time to touch base with the Rail Safety Regulator and see what was happening in the space of rail. Thank you so much for taking the time to have a coffee with the editor with me. It has definitely been some time since we last engaged with the Rail Safety Regulator. With the upcoming event, um, tell me more about what uh, participants can expect. The International Rail Safety Council, as it's called, it's a gathering of safety professionals in rail across the globe. We're expecting professionals from the Americas, from Europe, from Asia, from Australia, and we are very happy that our African counterparts are also joining us. It runs from the 1st to the 6th of October, on the Sunday, we have what we call a stakeholder meeting where we group ourselves in terms of operators, safety authorities being regulators, and also maybe governmental institutions. From Monday to the Wednesday, we do conferencing. Mm -hmm. We have many, many topics planned. It should be a blockbuster in my view. And then Thursday and Friday, we have what we call technical tours where we will expose delegates to the beauty of our rail landscape and the technicalities that go with it. So how did this event come together? Two or three years ago, just before the COVID era, when the council was held in Australia, we put up our hand and said to the council, we'd like to host as part of the African hosts. We committed to 2023. Last year it was in Seville, Spain. We sent a team there as part of the conference delegates. Part of the team was there to learn and understand the details around organizing the conference. The other part of the team were delegates. Fast forward a year, we've been planning since then. We've been hard at work since the beginning of the year. We are now happy that everything is coming together and hopefully in the next two weeks or so, it's time to go. I also assume at the event, like is traditional for the Rail Safety Regulator, that you'll be launching your annual state of safety report. Yes, that one is something traditionally we host what we call an annual railway safety conference where we would host the state of safety report at that conference. Since this is an international railway safety council hosted by the council members, we will be launching the report, but not to such a great extent. So we'll give a bit of a teaser to the audience, but the main launch of the State of Safety will happen on CNBC, where we invite the minister, the CEOs of the large operators, myself, and we have a discussion. And then later on, we have a breakfast with stakeholders where we unpack the detailed report. That's um, a pity. I wanted to ask you some highlights of what we could expect out of the report. I mean, considering I'm sure the, the statistics are different coming out of a post-COVID environment or operational environments and you know obviously we have a rail network in in 
South Africa that has some unique challenges at the moment. When you look at the report, the report compares year-on-year -year statistics between last year and this year. It compares two main classes being operational occurrences and security-related occurrences. When you look at it from an overall perspective, there are about 10,400 or so occurrences, about 8,600 are what we call security-related occurrences, about 1,800 are occurrence related occurrences which operators report through our NIMS platform which is our national information management system. You contrast this with the productivity of operators. So you will see the major operators being Transnet and Prasa have had a decline in productivity while BOC has somewhat recovered. It's not yet back at pre-COVID levels but they've made a substantial recovery. On the security related aspects the incidents have gone up. On the operational related occurrences, they've gone down. So you have a decrease in productivity, slightly lower on operational, slightly higher on security. The story tells a picture by itself. And like, do you, do you have an opinion on this? On the operational occurrences, which is our core mandate, it paints a positive picture, almost a 10% reduction, but you have to contrast that with a significant decrease in tonnages moved in million passenger kilometers. The decrease in tonnages moved is something that is in the social domain. You would understand that the president has set up some council relating to Transnet to, to unlock some of the logistical challenges. So the story that we've picked up in our statistics correlates to what you would have seen in the environment. What really concerns us is the security-related challenges. That one, we continue to see an assault on the railway network, and the statistics tell you the story. So not to go too deep in it, but you will see the trend that on the safety-related, we are shooting up on the operational, we are coming down, but on the backdrop of lower productivity. How, how do we address that? Yeah, that one is in the domain of society and we have to talk about it. There is an assault on the railway network. The two major operators are facing this as a daily barrage of sorts where they have to almost deal with security-related operations when they are in fact rail operators and not security companies. So they spend a lot of their mandate dealing with security-related issues and money-related money money. to that. You will see even in the context of Prasa, they have done some steady improvement in what they call reinstatement of corridors. One that maybe everybody would know is the Mabopani Corridor. That Mabopani Corridor, they've done very good work on it. But the security-related improvements come at an enormous cost. And the question is, can you really replicate that across the network or do you need some other type of intervention from law enforcement, from other bodies that come in and take a lot of the burden of these two major operators? And you will know it's not just those two. Uh, ESCOM faces the same challenges with our electricity infrastructure. Telcom faces the same challenges. So our major SOEs are facing this infrastructure assault on their networks. Recently, there's been some calls for comments and there's been some dialogues and tours around the Railway Safety Amendment. 
for the amendment to the bill. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that one is moving with great speed. We've actually had our team who's been attending the portfolio committee sittings. The portfolio committee has worked through the bill. I think they're at the final stages. Once they are done with the bill uh, from the portfolio committee, it goes through the other part of the National Assembly. We expect that that bill will see its way through Parliament in this sitting of Parliament. Before close? Before closure. Okay. It is moving very quickly. That bill is a replacement of our current bill. Our current act has been in place for more than 10 years. It's a departure from the old one, although it keeps a lot in place, but there are some marked departures from the old one. Biggest impact on the changes for our operators? As a whole, one is internally facing. There's a lot of changes in the governance arrangements of the RSR at a board level, at the powers and functions of the CEO, so that's a bit internally facing. Mm -hmm. When it comes to operators, one area is three main areas. One is around the penalty and enforcement regime. One is around investigations and another one is around safety critical grades. So the penalty and enforcement regime, operators, as you would expect, don't like this penalty and contravention uh, approach. <laughs> but they've argued, and sometimes some would agree rightly, that that money should not necessarily be used to fund RSR operations. What you will find now in the new bill is that that money, once we have recovered the penalties, it goes into the National Revenue Fund, which is, I think, is a more equitable basis of dealing with them. The other aspect is about investigations. Currently, the RSR does investigations. The operators do the preliminary ones, and we also do, and boards of inquiries are directed by the minister. The new bill rearranges this and gives the minister a bit more in terms of directing the RSR as to when we will conduct these investigations. The last part and the most interesting is around what the bill terms training of accreditation of training institutions and then the regulation of safety critical grades. So there is a new area for the RSR. It's a new effort level for the RSR. We are currently doing the frameworks which then result in the regulations and from the regulations we would then know and have more clarity to the industry around what our approach is, what the minister has determined, and what the safety critical grades and the accreditation framework looks like and how operators participate. Open access, third party open access. But I think we need to start changing what we call it. I think it's just access to the network. Yes. How are you framing this? Because you're, you're part of the process, the whole process, but there's also this pre-process that you're going through at the moment, if I understand, on the initial sale of slots. Yes. Um, and then I'm assuming you're going to be far more involved going forward with the deadlines that have been put forward in terms of October and November this year. Where are you? So we are a regulator. We are an entity of the Department of Transport. The Department of Transport supports this open access regime since it's located in the national rail policy. So as an entity of the department, we support it. We are playing our role. We are a safety regulator. When you talk about access issues, they are primarily economic. And the department is setting up what we call, what they call a single transport economic regulator, which would be an entity similar to the RSR. So as the RSR, we have taken a particular view that the way we will support 
this regime of open access is to do what is required of us in terms of the safety requirements. So Transnet is selling slots to a third party. In the sale of the slots, there will be something what we call the interface agreement. They need to have an interface agreement where the parties agree. Not necessarily, it will have some commercial aspects, which is not our interest. It will have safety considerations. We've done an interface agreement standard, which has been taken through the board, and that dictates to operators what the contents and the risk considerations of an interface agreement will be. So that's one part where we are actively involved. The other part is around the permit regime. So whoever gets the access is now an operator and requires a permit from the RSR. As it looks, in the first sale that happened last year, it's somebody who already had a permit and already understood our permit requirements. The sale of the corridor might take them to another class, but they do understand them. It's just a higher complexity and volume. And we've been working with them and we are very happy with how we've worked with them. This current sale, we're happy that Transnet has involved us from the start. They've kept us abreast across the various stages. They have at times asked us to come closer, but we have said we are a safety regulator. We will interact on the permit considerations, interface agreement considerations, but where it's pure commercial, that's between them and the third party. But as a regulator, we welcome it. We think it's a step in the right direction. It is something that is part of the national rail policy and we are playing our part. Okay, I think that's fantastic. And, and I'm pleased to see that things are now progressing to, to the degree where we should hopefully start seeing access to the network available to operators. Have you seen an increase or an increase in interest for, for learning more, knowing more and from from private operators or people who are interested in participating? Well, from what we've seen, uh, it's people who are already in the system. It's not necessarily new players who totally don't have an understanding of our regulatory regime. Where it is new players, you find it's a bit of a consortium with the current player. So the current player understands our regime, they understand how we operate, they then do come to us to understand what happens in the higher classes in terms of the permit requirements and what's required of them. And I'm happy from what I've seen with the team. The engagements are positive. There's a good uh, transparency in terms of sharing information. And I do expect that they will comply with our requirements. I think the devil is in the detail in the commercial aspects. Absolutely. And uh, that's where the devil of the detail is. And then will you be involved with like the network manager on the transport side looking at the infrastructure to make sure that the infrastructure, you know, they're going to have to ensure that their, their infrastructure being the track is to a certain standard as part of the commercial agreement. But there's also a safety aspect to that. And I'm assuming you'll be part of that or are you only from a rolling stock perspective? It's a very good question. So recently, our team have had an engagement with the team and on the slots that are up for sale, what we as a regulator are doing, we are doing assessments. So the regulator, we organize ourselves in disciplines, uh, OHTE, substations, the purway, mechanical. So in terms of the slots that are, they are selling, on the corridor, we do an assessment We've picked two or three disciplines, and from that detailed technical report, we then give it to Transnet to inform them of the state 
of the infrastructure. They already know, by the way, it's their asset, they already know. But we come from a regulatory perspective and work through the areas of improvement. It's a bit of a sensitive area because that immediately jumps into who's responsible for what and who pays for what, but that's not our intention. Our intention is that when we deal with that interface agreement, we should know the state of the infrastructure that is at play. We should know who's responsible for what and what improvements are required of which party. And from a safety perspective, that is why we are doing the work we are doing. What more could be done to improve operational safety in railway operations? Operators must take control of the environment. As the Act requires, they are primarily responsible for safe railway operations. They are doing their bit, but I think they can do more. Another area is around the safety and security. We do as a country need to come to the answer in terms of the involvement of law enforcement, the involvement of our uh, intelligence agencies, how we tackle the problem head on. The vandalism and the theft and the safety issues in the rail network are not peculiar to rail. They are a South African story and they are across sectors. And we do as a country need to come to an answer on the story of vandalism and theft across the board. And once we come to that answer, it will positively affect rail. In terms of investments into the rail system, if you look at the Prasa environment, the, the, the government has put together a lot of investment in the Prasa environment. Hence, you see these new corridors coming up and Prasa, as the group CEO has reported, has for the first time in many years spent the entire CapEx budget. So you are beginning to see Prasa recovering. On the Transnet side, a similar level of infrastructure investment is needed to bring the network back up to the required level. And this third party access to a level does bring in new capital. And Transnet, this I think is top of their mind and the group CEOs attending to that. From the BOC environment, Train, that is a very good operator. They are doing what they need to do. I think they are just targeting getting their riderships back to pre-COVID levels and improving the service where it can be improved. The rest of the industry, I think we are coming from the back foot. Society is of the view, hey, this rail industry <laughs> is at its lowest point. We can it only go like up from here. And it should be a concerted effort because the RSR exists because there's a rail industry and we need a growing industry. Yeah. We need a strong Prasa, we need a strong Transnet, and we need other emerging operators, the other operators that service the mining industry and the other sectors to be profitable and strong whilst running safe railway operations. So I think it's quite important for everybody to understand that whilst we're talking about Transnet and we talk about Prasa and we talk about the How Train or the BOC environment, um, there are three of probably 203, so 206 um, operators in South Africa. Do you want to tell me more about the other operators? Because they're different. They, they're not mainland, they've got branch lands, they're in the mines. How does that all come together? It's actually a fascinating mix of operators. So the three you spoke about are what we call category A operators. Then you have category B and then the very small ones, category C. So a lot of the mines are operators because they need to move their product from inside their mine to the main line where it will be hooked onto a transnet main line. Yes. So they become operators by virtue of that. They obviously run very small sidings. 
a group of operators would be heritage operators. So South Africa is a tourist destination. So you have steam trains. There are steam trains that are running. There is your well-known ones, your blue trains, your Rovos rails, which are also tourist operators. A class of operators you may not know are municipalities. Surprisingly, municipalities are also operators and they have rail operations, they have sidings. They're not really as well run as they should be. We are taking some time to introduce ourselves and make them up to speed with our regulatory regime. But when we talk of a topic we haven't got into, devolution of rail, yeah. municipalities come top of discussion. And you would have heard the Western Cape, the city of Cape Town has been pushing a lot and they've been pushing for devolution of rail. High on the agenda for Operation Vulunglela, I mean, they've even in the last update, devolution of rail is a big, big topic. So when we talk open access, one of the areas we miss is around this devolution to other state role players with maybe some private sector input. Mm -hmm. And the city of Cape Town is leading it, but there are other metros, many of them are in the Gauteng context and they are very close together. So we do have some operators in the municipal space as well who we interact with and uh, these are class of operators as you say it's more than 200 of them surprising yes. some we have a different regime some apply every three years some apply every five years the bigger ones we may call them annually or every three years so this is the broad base of our operator base and then you still do your you know your su surprise spot checks do you still do that yes Okay. So we do what we call inspections. Those are ad hoc, uh, depending on the risk profile, depending on what has come out of the permit assessment. We may send our teams through to do inspections. The audits are pre-planned. We send you an engagement letter, a scoping, you know we are coming, you know what we are looking at. <laughs> but the inspections are ad hoc. We come, we look at your rail operations, we verify some of the information you've given us. Mm. And uh, yeah, those are the Looks unexpected surprised. ones. <laughs> And then I need to bring it all back home to, to our region. Um, you guys, I saw we're in Botswana, uh, Tanzania. You seem to be doing quite a bit up in, in Africa. Do you want to say Africa or do you want to say Southern African? Southern Africa. And actually, I think it's good because one of your, I don't know if it was a coffee with the editor you had with Mr. Lubinda uh, from Sara. Yes. And as part of this exercise we are doing of visiting our regional part, uh, partners, we started at SARA to understand uh, the relationships that are there, the players in the market, the regional footprints. And then we've visited a few. We've been to Namibia, we've been to Angola recently, we've been to Botswana, Swaziland, the most recent one. We went to Tanzania, partly to invite them to the International Railway Safety Council, but also as part of our harmonization mandate. As the RSR, we are responsible for the Regional Regulators Association, which has been something pushed by the Council of Ministers in SADC. We had handed that over to our Tanzanian counterparts. We had gone to visit them to cement some of the work. We will see now what uh, SARA decides and SADC as to who will be the next host. And we are continuing our harmonization efforts through the standards, through some of the protocols, and our responsibilities on the regulatory front. The operators themselves have their own agreements that they have with our sister countries. And that's quite important because if we start thinking about the 
the seamless trains through through our region and we've already started piloting that with um, Transnet and, and CFM. There is that regulation or that requirement for that regulation and the you know harmonize between the regions. So I think there's a greater role to be played. Absolutely. And there the critical discussion is around the gauge, what gauge we use versus the gauge used by our counterparts. And whilst we're in Tanzania actually, South Africans tend to be inwardly focused. Uh, part of the experience there was understanding the work that is done by Tazara and Latra and how that railway system runs through various countries, three or four countries, and connects them instantaneously. And maybe South Africa is beginning to fall backwards a bit in terms of connectivity with the rest of the continent. And that affects competitiveness. So it is an area we need to look at around our harmonization efforts, around our operators, our regulatory footprint and how we harmonize with our colleagues on the continent. All right, thank you. And on that note, thank you for joining us for this Coffee with the Editor. <laughs>